We are wrapping up our series, Unhurried. We are in part five of a series that is all about one simple thing, that we all agree that the pace of this life, the push, the stress, the rush, rush, rush is too much. So what this series is about is about four practices to live an unhurried life. And if you missed any of the first four, par first four parts, you can make sure you go online to get caught up. To get you caught up real quick right here, these are the first three practices that we looked at over the past few weeks, and we'll add the final one today. The first one, as you see up there on the screen, was silence and solitude, and then the Sabbath, and then simplicity. Okay, and just a, a quick recap. The silence and solitude is all about something that we do every single day. We want to make sure that every single day before we get to the noise of the day and the chaos of the day and the stress of the day, we want to make sure that we have time for silence and solitude, not being alone, but being alone with God. There's a big difference. We talked about that. And that's the most important part. The same way we feed our bodies every day, we make sure we feed our souls every day. That's the first habit. The second habit, as you see, is Sabbath. And that's a weekly habit. And we talked about how when God gave us the Sabbath, we always focus about how we don't want to be legalistic about the Sabbath and we, man was not made for Sabbath. But what we agreed is that the Sabbath was made for man. And then God gave it to us as a chance for our souls to catch up to our bodies on a weekly basis. And then the last one we looked at last week was simplicity, simple living, or some people call it minimalism. You call it whatever you want. Okay. And it's all about, not about denying ourselves. Okay. If you weren't here last week, simplicity, all of these really, none of them have to do anything with denying ourselves. It's not about what that we don't need. It's about what we do need. And what we do need is to be able to focus on the things that matter most. Now, before we get to the fourth and final habit, I'm going to do like a little confession right here in front of everyone. With these first three habits, I'm pretty good. I'm not perfect, but I'm pretty good. When it comes to silence and solitude, like something I started way, way, way back on my first mission trip to Africa, okay, I learned about this thing called quiet time and about starting your day with quiet time. And for the most part, I'm not going to say I'm 100% because I struggle like everybody struggles. But for the most part, most of my days start off with at least a few minutes in silence, most of them. So I would say on that one, I'd probably give myself a B plus. The second one, Sabbath, okay, for years I hadn't been practicing it, but ever since this series, ever since I read the book that led me to this series, I've been taking it very, very seriously and trying to really institute it and really protect my Friday nights and my Saturdays to really protect it so I give myself that time. So I would say I'd give myself a B on that one. Simplicity, man, I was born simple. Okay, now I was born ready for that one. I was a minimalist before it was cool. Okay, I was cheap. That's what it was. Okay, so that one, I mean, and I found the perfect job and the perfect uniform. So simplicity, I give myself an A plus. I didn't need anything on that one. But this last one that I'm gonna throw up, I'm gonna be honest. This one I'm not good at at all. And this was the one. There's a reason why I put it at the very end. Because anytime you plan a series in the D.C. area in winter, you always know there could be a snow Sunday. So I was kind of hoping secretly that this one would be the one that gets snowed out, okay? Or that somehow we'd have to postpone a week or something or a monsoon would hit and I wouldn't have to preach about this subject because when it comes to this one, I'm honest, this is one that I'd probably give myself an F on, maybe a D minus on a good day. And it's a spiritual habit that you never hear about, but it is so counter-cultural for the way we live today, especially in this DC metropolitan area. And that is the spiritual habit of slowing. There's a friend of mine, someone that I know, someone that I admire, I've known him for many years. He doesn't go, to, he doesn't live here, he lives somewhere else. And it's someone that I admire 
I admire him for many reasons. I admire him because first of all, like I'm going to say this, and I mean this literally what I'm about to say. He is one of the nicest people that you'll ever meet. Like, you know how you meet someone and you don't know what something to say about him. So you're like, oh, he's a nice person. I'm not like that. Like this guy is actually the term that I've told my wife about him. He's uncomfortably nice. It's uncomfortable being around him because he's just so nice. He's just so focused on you and cares about you and attention. And you know, some people, they ask about you and you tell them and they're like, okay, I'll pray for you. But you feel like he is like straining in prayer, even as you're speaking to him. He's the nicest person on the planet. In addition, I admire him because he's not just nice, but the next part, usually we don't put these two together. He's extremely successful in an earthly sense. Okay, he built himself up, started an organization, built it up and became something very, very successful. And then at a point in time, he decided, I don't want the earthly success. He gave it all up and he went into like nonprofit ministry work and he's done the exact same thing. He's built up his nonprofit ministry work, okay, to be just as successful as his secular work. He's successful at home. He's successful in his family. He's, his kids love him. Okay, his kids are all grown up and older and they like being around their dad. He's successful spiritually. He's successful in so many different areas. And every time I think about it, or I spend time with him, I'm like, you know what? I admire him. But he's got one flaw. He's got one thing about him that I'm like, and that is he is the slowest person on the earth. Like, slower than molasses. You know, slow as molasses? That's this guy. He talks slow. He walks slow. And may God help you if you're in the car with him as the driver. Because there are times, he, if he wasn't the nicest guy, like, I'd want to push him out the seat, okay, and take over myself. Because he just can't take. He moves so slow, and everything he does is so slow. But every time I'm with him, I got to be honest, every time, 100% of the time that I'm with him, I don't ever leave without thinking to myself, I think that's what it was like to be with Jesus. I finish my time with him, and I'm like, if Jesus was here, I think that's how he'd talk. I think that's how he'd walk. Not saying he's lazy. Not saying he doesn't get stuff done. Again, he's very accomplished. He's made, been very successful in so many ways. But what I'm saying is, He's found a way to be successful in life in all those aspects without ever being hurried, without ever being in a rush, without ever making you feel like you're taking away from his time in something or us. Like he's always able to focus and be present in the moment no matter where he is. So because of those reasons, he's someone that I want to be like. Because of these, re because of these reasons, he's not only someone that I want to be like, he's someone that I want to be around. And I bet you if you met him, you'd feel the exact same way. And as I said, this is the opposite of me. Today, I'm going to talk about being slow and slowing down. And I'm telling you, like every time, okay, so when I preach here, I always like pray, like, what is it that I want? What is it that I want to happen by the end of today? My goal today is very, very simple. Me preaching about slowing, my goal is, is very low bar. My, my goal is that my wife and children don't laugh hysterically as I preach, okay? That they don't come here and push me up, bum rush the stage and say, don't listen to this guy. Like, that's my goal. So I'm setting a very low bar because I'm telling you, me personally, I'm being honest. Okay, sometimes up here we preach stuff that we are not experts at, but we try and we strive. And this is one of those days because me, I'm, I'm like, remember in the first week I talked about life is a race. Some people think life is a race. So that's me. Everywhere I go, I'm going as fast as I can. And, and you know, those people, like, especially if you see me walking, 
Okay, if, you, if you've ever been with me in an airport, okay, I've seen, like I'm a big 007 James Bond kind of a guy, so I walk through the airport. Some people just stroll through the airport, even if I'm not late, I'm walking with a mission, okay? Like I'm always like, it's a chase scene, you know what I mean? Like, and I'm trying, and I'm looking out for the bad guys, and, I, and sometimes I'll even cross over into the other side, you know, you're supposed to stay on the right side. I'll cross over to weave in and out of traffic, and I'll laugh at the suckers who have gone by, and I'll think to myself, why would anyone walk that slow? The dilly-dalliers, or the people walking with a cup of coffee. Do you know how slow you have to go when you're holding a cup of coffee? I ain't got time for that stuff. And I'm thinking to myself, boom, 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 move as quickly as I can. But you know, as I say that, and we all smile because I'm sure I'm not the only one, Jesus was never that way. The great men and women of God, the great saints of old, the people that we admire spiritually, aren't that way. <clears throat> so because of that, I think it's worth looking into. And... In case you are wondering, how do we know that Jesus didn't walk fast? Like he could have, like he's the son of God, right? So he could turn on the jets, nitro, push anytime he want. But how can you prove? How can I prove to you that Jesus did walk slow? Well, very simple. The blind and the lame always found a way to get to him. I mean, if it was me, good luck catching me. You walking on one leg with a withered whatever. Good, the lady who touched the hem of his robe, okay, crawling in the dirt. She'd have never caught me. That left her in the dust way back there. But they found a way to catch Jesus because he never moved too fast. He always found a way to walk slow. And our final practice is how we can take steps in that direction. We're going to talk about eight ways to live a slower life. But before we get into it, uh, let's get to a definition of what does slowing mean? Because it's, it's not a word that we hear very often as a spiritual habit. Let's get to a definition and then a biblical basis for it. The definition is going to come to us. I saw this quote from John Ortberg, who's a Christian author. And he says, slowing is this. It's cultivating patience by deliberately choosing to place ourselves in positions where we simply have to wait. Deliberately choosing to place ourselves in positions where we have to wait. In other words, it's the definition of hell on earth. It's the exact opposite of everything we do in our day-to-day -day life. Because what we do in our day-to-day -day is we put ourselves in a position to never have to wait. We do whatever we can to move as quickly as we can through life. And what this is saying is be deliberate. Choose to wait when you don't have to. And you're thinking to yourself, why would anyone do that? That's so inefficient. That's so unproductive. Like, why? I got places to go and people to see. Well, here's the thing. Just stick with me on this one. Just trust me on this. I'm going to tell you something that you may not agree with, but just trust me. One of the problems with our society today, one of the problems with the way that we live today is that we think we are very smart and we are very intellectually oriented and we put high value on logic and reason, as do I, so I'm not saying against that, but we put very little value on experience. So we think to ourselves, forget about slowing for a second. Certain practices were like, what's the point of that? What's the benefit? So for example, the church prayers. Why can't, like, why does it take two hours to say? Why can't we just say the same words in an hour? It's more efficient. Why wouldn't we be more efficient? What do we gain from that extra hour? We, it gains nothing. It doesn't make any sense. Or you say, why do we stand up when we pray? Wouldn't it be make more sense to be comfortable and relax and sit down? Why does the church say to stand up? Is it just to torture us? Fasting, that's the easiest one. We're about to start Lent soon. What's the point of fasting? Like, does God really care if there's a creamer in my coffee or not? Like, that makes the big difference. And we think we're so smart and we're like, we don't see a benefit of fasting and we don't see why I hold the cheese or whatever it is. So because we don't see the benefit, we're like, there is none. And I'm telling you, this is the wrong approach to life because you and I, we're not just brains. We're not just intellects. 
We are a whole person. We are a whole body. And sometimes, sometimes we have to deny certain parts of our body so that we can feed certain parts of our soul. That's why we pray in two hours instead of just one. We could get it done in one, but that's not good for your soul. It's good for your calendar, but it's not good for your soul. Stay here for two. That's why we say stand up when we pray. It's not good for your knees, not good for your back, but it's good for your soul. Stand up when you pray. That's why we say fast. What difference to make veggie burger or hamburger or chicken burger or whatever burger? It makes a difference for your soul. That every now and then you tell your soul, no, no, you don't always, you, you tell your body, you don't always get what you want. Sometimes you have to deny, just, just trust me on this one. Slowing is the same way. You don't see a benefit. I don't see a benefit. But there is benefit. And I, I prove it to you here, biblical basis. How many verses are there in scripture that talk about waiting? How many verses that you look, especially in the Psalms and the, and the great, not even just, all over the place. Okay, I'll give you three examples right here to talk about the importance of waiting. Psalm 27, 14. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. King David is telling us, waiting is an important part. Lamentations 3, 25 and 26. The Lord is good to those who wait for him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Waiting is good for us, is good for our soul. Next verse. James chapter 5, verse 7 and 8. Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. It says, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain? You also be patient. Slow down. Chill out. Take five. Relax. It's good for your soul. You think to yourself, I can't go slower. Got to keep moving. No time. No time. Got to keep moving. Got to keep moving. And I say to you, well, maybe this is, maybe that, maybe that sentiment that you expressing in your mind right now, the pushback, like you're pushing back on what I'm saying. You're like, that's not for me. Like the simple, okay. And the quiet time, okay. But this is not for me. The pushback in your mind, maybe that has something to do with the reason that your soul is so malnourished. Maybe that has a reason. It's something to do with when you say, I'm just not feeling the peace of God anymore. Maybe it has something to do with why your faith, Okay, and we talked about the scripture talking about your faith on a rock and your faith is unshakable and your faith is like a leaf blowing in the wind. Okay, that somebody sneezes near your faith and the whole thing collapses. Maybe there's a connection. Because the truth of the matter is you cannot live in the kingdom of God with a hurried soul. You cannot live in the kingdom of God with a hurried soul. How do I know this? What's the number one rule of the kingdom? If there's one law of the kingdom of God, it is what? Jesus said, they asked Jesus, tell us what's the most important commandment? Jesus said what? What's the most important commandment? Love. Love God, love your neighbor. God himself, God is the king, God is, the Bible defines it, God is love. Love is the law of the kingdom. Everybody agree, nobody disagree. Love is the law of the kingdom. Well, you know, there was a per certain point in time where St. Paul wanted to define love for us because we were like, Jesus kept talking about love, 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 love. Every talk about love, what is love? And St. Paul said, love is too hard to define in one word, but I'm going to give you the characteristics of love. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, he gave us several characteristics about what love is. Love is blank, love is blank, love is blank. What's the first characteristic he said? Love is patient. Love is patient. First characteristic, first thing he said, love doesn't hurry. Love doesn't rush. 
Love isn't stressed. Love waits. And you know what? This makes sense. My own experience, your experience says the same thing. That if love is patient, follow me here. If love is patient, love is patient, then hurry is incompatible with love. If love is patient, hurry is incompatible with love. My experience and yours says it as well. Think about the people that you have been most unloving towards. I bet you most of the times because you were in a hurry. The times that I've hurt my kids is because I was in a rush and they weren't. The time that you've been rude to that person is because you were in a rush and they were in your way. The time that you neglected to call so-and-so or visit so-and-so, whatever it is, hurry and love are incompatible with one another. Because if love is a fruit, I'm sorry, if patience is a fruit of the spirit, then hurry is a fruit of the devil. If patience is a fruit of the spirit, hurry is a fruit of the devil. So with that, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to put eight ideas up here on the screen. Eight ideas to help you get started. I'm telling you right off the bat, these are not eight practices from the life of Father Anthony. I wish. These are not. These are things that I'm telling you, and I'm going to tell you exactly which ones that I get an F minus in. But I'm going to tell you, here's eight ideas. I'm not saying you have to do them all. This is not a legalistic. These are eight ideas to help you slow down. You may pick one or two of them, and some of them you may already do naturally. But these, the whole idea is the world is pushing us to go hurry, 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 hurry. Okay, think of it like, you know, in the, in the ocean, the undercurrent. The undercurrent is always pushing us, hurry, hurry, hurry. So what do you do? When the undercurrent is pushing, you have to keep on going like this. Okay, my kids hate my guts because when we're in the ocean, I always tell them that, that, that they're just hanging out. I'm like, no, you got to keep fighting against the current or else you have, so we, we call it the reset. Okay, once we get so far, we got to reset. Okay, so the same way is that we got to constantly be going against the current of hurry. So these are eight ideas that can help you go in that way. Some of them I'm not bad at. Some of them I'm downright awful in. Either one, or any one of them, like I said, may help you in that direction. And if you, where, where, where we're coming with these from? If you remember last week, okay, we finished off talking about simplicity and I said a question that you can ask yourself is what would Jesus do if he were me? Okay, what would Jesus do if he were me? So these are eight thoughts that you know what? Jesus didn't live in a time where there was traffic and Wi-Fi and his phone getting blown up with text messages. But I think that if Jesus was here today, I think this is how he would approach traffic and Wi-Fi and his phone getting blown up with text messages. So here's the first of them. I'm going to start right with the hardest one right off the bat, and I'm going to put it up there, and I'm telling you, every single one of you is going to say, no way it's impossible, the number one habit. (laughs) Drive the speed limit. Drive the speed limit. This is the hardest one. The speed limit. Not the, the plus 10, okay, which in somehow in our minds we've decided that plus 10 is okay. Not any of that stuff. The actual speed limit. You know the speed limit? That's the people that you glare at as you pass by them, okay? Those people. And I'm going to add on top of this one, okay? Not just drive the speed limit, but maybe when you're on the highway, just stay in the right lane. Just stay, unless there's a broken down vehicle, but you don't need to pass, you don't need to weave. Like some of us, let's be honest, like we drive on the road like we're in a Jason Bourne chase scene, okay? Like we're going in and out. And I get it that sometimes, and I'm telling you, this one I'm an F at, okay? So I'm, I'm telling you, I understand that sometimes we're late, sometimes we're in a hurry, but let's be honest. Sometimes we're not. Sometimes we're just impatient. Sometimes we're just reckless. 
Sometimes we just like the game of it. So what I'm saying is, yeah, you got the pregnant woman in the back. Yeah, you full speed ahead. Absolutely. But what I'm saying is if you got nowhere to go and you got nowhere to be, sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride. Take it easy. Maybe it's a chance. Like I'm telling you, certain things that when I'm not in a rush, certain things that I enjoy in the car, some of my best times of prayer have been in the car. Sometimes that Christian radio turns on, it hits that song, comes at just the right time. And I've actually done this. I've actually pulled over on the side of the road because I can't always understand the words of the song. So when there's a good one, I pull over and I look it up on the YouTube and I'll like, so I want to know the words to it or whatever it may be. So some of the best times of prayer have been for me in the car, but never when I'm in a rush. Some of the best conversations, you got kids, some of the best conversations, especially if they're a unique type of child called a teenager, okay? If they're one of those, then sometimes the best thing, something about staring straight ahead allows the, voice, allows the talking to go. I don't know what it is. Listen to an audible book, whatever it may be. Force yourself to drive the speed limit every now and then. Not below the speed limit. Because then we'll kill you. Just the speed limit. Number two, sticking with the driving theme, don't text and drive. Do I really need to say this? We don't need to say this. And I'm telling you, just to show you how messed up we've become, Every single one of us knows the danger of texting and driving. Every single one of us. Like, if any, is anyone out there who's like, no, I think it's a good idea that I wish everyone around me was texting while they're driving? Like, especially if you have a kid, one of those teenagers, and you've seen these, these driver's ed videos, horrific, okay, what, what they show you about the text, like, horrible, horrible. Like, I'm about as heartless and gutless, as, not gutless, heartless, okay, and emotionless as it is, but even me, like, I'm in the, the driver's ed thing with my daughter, and I'm sobbing, okay, because this thing... The texting and driving, we know the dangers of it. But let me give you some statistics. A 2021 survey, 97% of the people surveyed in it said, we believe that texting or emailing while driving is a very serious threat to safety. 97% of the people said it's a very serious threat to safety. 39% said they did it in the last month. 97% said it's a very serious threat. 39% said we did it in the last 30 days. Last 30 days. <clears throat> and I don't need to tell you, Distracted driving is the number one cause of crashes, more than 50,000 per year, and the number one cause of autom automotive deaths, more than 400 people every year die from distracted driving. Now, I'm not here, I'm not the driver's ed guy talking about that, but what I'm saying is, like, I just want to show you something. Why is it that there's something which is so dangerous to ourselves and everyone around us, yet all of us, if we're honest, have done it? John Mark Comer, the author of the book Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, says it this way. He said, there's a reason most of us text and drive even though we know it's illegal and a life and death issue. We're so addicted to the dopamine hit that is our phones that we literally can't just sit in our cars and listen to music or the news or pray or talk with our passengers. We have to reach for our phones and risk our necks and those of others to get our fix. Point of this quote, what I'm trying to show you is we have a problem as a society. We have a problem as a culture. Hurry, 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 hurry. It causes us to do things that are not just stupid for ourselves, but stupid for everyone around. Something we would tell everyone never to do. But that hurry, 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 it causes us to do it. We have to push back. And I'm going to push on this one, not just don't text while you drive. Obviously, that includes email as well. But I'm going to even push you even further. Don't check it even at traffic lights. Don't scroll through your social media. Just have a seat. Don't read the alert. Don't read the notification. Like, you can wait till you get home. You can wait till you get home to see that video that your friend posted of their cat doing some great, amazing trick. Whatever it may be, it can wait. Don't do it while you're driving. And I guess it's a number three. Number three, not just while driving. Refuse to check your phone while waiting. Refuse to check your phone while waiting. 
meaning waiting in line at the doctor's office or waiting for your Uber or you know what? You just arrived at a appointment or whatever it may be and you just happen to be a few minutes early. Try to force yourself not to check your phone while you're waiting. Now, if you are out of a certain age, you don't understand like I'm speaking a different language right now because that is what we think waiting is for, to check our phone. Like we get there early to check our phone. But I'm telling you, we used to live as a society in a place without phones and we found a way to, to pass the time in very enjoyable ways before we had our phones when we were waiting. Who remembers when you used to go to the dentist office? And you go to the dentist office and you're waiting for your appointment, what would you do? You read the magazines. And I personally, I loved it because they had Sports Illustrated. And my parents never allowed me to get Sports Illustrated. It was too expensive. They would never let me shell out for it. So I loved it. Going to the dentist's office, I would like to get there early to check out the Sports Illustrated. Or even better, my barber got the USA Today. The USA Today. Like at the house, we just had the Washington Post to just give you like the local sports. But this, you could read sports from all across the country. And this was something great. You would sit there and you would just read the newspaper. What do we used to do at grocery stores before we had phones? What were we used to do in line? We'd get our news. From the tabloids. Okay, this was the source of news that you would, as you were standing there, you would catch up on the daily news. And this is where we found out like important information. Like we learned about UFOs and what happens when they land a trailer parks in New Mexico, like very important stuff. Okay, when we were waiting in the line before we had the phones. You will survive without your phone. All joking aside, one time I decided I'm going to do this several years ago. I'd just been on like sick of my phone. I'd been traveling. So I was like, I was going from here, train state, or I took the metro to the train, up to New York, back down. So it was like one day back and forth, like two trains, two metros, and then an Uber ride. So it was just a day of just non, so I said, you know what? On the last metro ride, I'm not gonna check my phone. I'm not gonna, and I stood there on the metro in the middle of the rush hour with the different people in the metro center, people all around. I said, I'm not gonna check my phone. What do you think I did? Yeah, I made a friend. I was just standing there. Okay, and somebody looked at me. Of course, they were all on their phone, and I'm just like. <laughs> and then, of course, somebody sees me, and the question that people always ask me is, what are you? Not who are you, what are you, okay? So I'm a what, apparently. So, you know, I had a nice little conversation. Okay, church, okay, Coptic, whatever it may be, or Orthodox, not Jewish Orthodox, but you know what I mean? And then, like, so like hey, a nice little enjoyable conversation. It was two minutes. Okay, and then I decide, you know what? I smile from it. He smiled from it. I decide, you know what? I'm still on the metro, and I'm not going to pull out my phone even when I'm on the metro. I'm just going to enjoy my time. I didn't have a conversation, but I had my alone time with my thoughts. It was very, very enjoyable. Bottom line, <clears throat> learn to resist checking the phone every chance that you get. That actually gets us to number four. Number four, take a walk every day without your phone. And let me highlight without your phone. Take a walk every day without your phone. There's very few things in life that I can say with confidence. If Jesus was alive today, he would do it, but I guarantee he would do that. That if Jesus was alive today, and that's actually why I started the practice. And this is something I have been doing now for probably, probably five years now, is that every single morning, regardless of the weather, unless it's pouring, okay, I don't care about the cold, I don't care about the hot. If it's light rain, I'll just put the hoodie on and, and move on. Only if it's pouring, I won't do it. And I don't do it on Sundays, okay? Save my energy for liturgy. Other than that, okay? Every day I start my day, I go outside, and I take somewhere between a 15 and 30-minute walk, depending on what I got going on that day. And I'm telling you, it's the best part of my day. It's not my quiet time. 
but it sets me up for my quiet time. First of all, I'm 46 years old. So nothing better in the morning than to get the joints loose, okay? Get the body moving, get the heart flowing, okay? Because I'm at the age where I get out of bed like this. Ah! Okay, and you know you're old by the sounds you make getting in and out of the bed. I'm making sounds in and out of the bed. So the walk is great to get the blood flowing, get the, 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 the joints juiced up with whatever juice is in there that helps lubricate things. Mentally, it is a great way to start the day before I check my phone, before anything. My thoughts are clear, and I can't tell you how many times I start my walk, and I don't have an agenda on my walk. Okay, it's not prayer, it's, not, it's just whatever, like just empty thoughts. And so many times, there's a thought, like a problem, and something that like requires some serious thought. And by the time I finish that walk, I feel like I, I have a, I'm not saying I have a solution, but there's a creative, there's a creativity that comes when you don't have your phone, and you're just in nature, and you're just, like you can think more clearly. And of course, spiritually. Okay, nothing better for the soul before you rush into the day than to give it some time just to rest and ease its way into the world. Blaise Pascal, who's a pretty smart guy, mathematician, philosopher, he said, all of humanity's problems stem from man's inability to sit quietly in a room alone. Well, I transform that. Not just sit quietly in a room alone, but sometimes, make it a little easier, take a walk alone without the phone and give yourself a chance to think. Number five, I got four more to go and I'll move through these quickly. Number five, turn your smartphone into a dumb phone. Turn your smartphone into a dumb phone. And I know right off the bat what I'm saying right here. No one is going to do what I'm about to say. Zero percent of the people are going to do this, but maybe there's two people. Maybe there's two people sitting here. Maybe there's one smart person in Leesburg or two smart people in Leesburg who are going to do what I'm going to say. And I'm telling you, for those two people who are going to do it, you will thank me. Because what I'm about to tell you is going to make your life significantly better. And everyone will ignore it, and that's fine, that's on them. But if you do it, I promise you, you will see the quality in your life instantly. And this is not a long-term thing. You will see the quality instantly. What do I mean by turning the smartphone into a dumb phone? Well, let me give you four thoughts. Number one, remove social media apps. Remove social media apps. Remove the social media apps. I'm not saying get off social media, but what I'm saying is don't have the app on your phone. Use it from your desktop or your laptop. Have set times for it. But I'll tell you why this is so important. Because so many times people come to me and they're like, I, I, feel, I feel bad about myself. I'm discouraged. Self-esteem, whatever it may be. And I always ask the same question. How much are you on social media? And almost 100% of the time, the answer is all the time. So what I tell them is, just get off it. Get off it for two weeks and then come tell me if you feel better. 100% of the time, you feel better in two weeks. 100% of the time. So I'm not saying social media is the devil, but what I'm saying is give it its time, give it a place, but don't keep it on your phone. Delete the app off your phone. It's too tempting. Second thing, turn off notifications. I only have two notifications on my phone. Actually three, I'm sorry, but two are the same. The phone, like when it rings, like when someone calls me, like, you know, what a phone you're supposed to do. Two for text messages and three for WhatsApp, but I have truthfully, on the WhatsApp, I only have a few of them. Most of them are muted because I'm on many of these groups and I mute those notifications. Notifications are the worst thing, okay? Especially not just the buzzing and the ringing, but that evil little no red number, that little number, okay? Because when you open, you see that number, you're like, I got to kill that number. That little number one that says, I got to kill that number. I got to kill that. It's like the, you know what I mean? Like the, what's it called? The, the, the whack-a-mole, exactly that thing. It's like, there's a one there. There's a one there. There's a one there, okay? And so for me, get rid of these things. Now, if you're someone like my wife, 
who doesn't struggle with these numbers, I'd turn on her phone and it's just like a jungle of numbers, okay? And somehow it doesn't bother her. So if the numbers don't bother you, that's totally fine. But if you're a whack-a-mole guy with the numbers, get rid of the notifications. It can wait. Number three, remove news apps and alerts. Let me come back to that one, okay? Number four, delete every app that doesn't make your life seriously better. Seriously better. The same way last week we talked about simplicity with our stuff, be simple with our phones. You don't need every app. You don't need every app from every airline that you've ever been on or every store that you ever made any purchase from. Like you don't need it. You don't need it, especially if you got the notifications on. If the app doesn't make your life seriously better, get rid of it. Like there's something that I do. If someone's like, there's this new app that'll do this. Uh, my, my life is fine. I, I, there's nothing lacking in my life that I need a new app, which I don't know how to use. I don't know how to install. What's the Wi-Fi pad? Like I don't need it. Like I'm very happy with that as is. Don't just have your phone be a place of clutter. Trust me, it'll cost you. Now back to the news thing for a second. I need to have a serious discussion. Okay, all joking aside, serious discussion out of love. We need to understand the role of news and media in the world today. I'm not talking politics. I'm talking simple capitalism. News and news media is a for-profit industry. A multi, multi-billion dollar for-profit industry. I'm not saying that every news person is bad. I know actually people who are in the news who are fantastic people who do their job to tell the world the story of what it is taking place. So I'm not saying everyone is bad. But what I'm saying is the primary purpose of the news is not to paint an accurate picture of what is going on in the world. The primary purpose of the news is to make money to make money. And there are two things that make money. There's two things that sell in the world of media. The first is obvious. What sells? Sex sells. And the second, bad news. Sex sells, bad news sells. Good news doesn't. So here's the problem. If you open the news and you are on the news alerts and your life is guided in the news alert, the news alert, you don't have an accurate picture of society. You have a very carefully curated picture designed by someone whose goal is to make money by getting you to stay on their website, to click their link or whatever it may be. And again, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying that's bad. Like everyone's trying to make money. Like every business trying to make money. But I'm saying is I got to take control of my life. And if all you do is the news alerts, the news, the people who have the lowest view of the world are the people who the news alerts because they ain't telling you good news. The worse the news, the more likely you are to stay on the website. So what we need to do, we need to take back control. I'm not saying that we dig a hole and bury our heads in the ground, but what I'm saying is, is that we need to be less on the alerts, less on the notifications, less on the news. And you know what guides my view of the world today? Not what I read on my phone alerts. My view of the world is guided by the people that I meet and interact with. And if that's, you, if, that's your, if that's how you're going to have your view, the way I do, I promise you, you're going to have a lot more hope in this world than if you just read the news. Because you read the news, you'd be depressed. But that doesn't match my experience. I know fantastic people. I see great things happening in the world. I see, yeah, for sure there's evil. I'm not saying there's an evil, but I'm saying there's always been evil. Like, where was that time that hasn't been evil? Like, just because when we were growing up, we didn't have the alerts of the evil, doesn't mean there wasn't evil. It just means we didn't have the notification. It's always been there. Go from the back from the beginning of time. 
when Jesus walked on this earth, the world was very evil, more wicked than it's ever been. But there was more good than there's ever been. And I think the world is the same today. So let's stop letting the world set my mental agenda for the day. I'm going to start my day in a walk in quiet. Then I'm going to go to the word of God and spend time in prayer. And I'm going to, that's going to be how I start my day. And then from there, I'm ready to face whatever evil, whatever the world has to throw my way. I'm okay with it because I started my day with God. Get off the news apps. The news apps are killing you. It's not good. Sorry, a little bit of a rant there. Let's go quickly. Got a few little time left. Number six, parent your phone. Parent your phone. You know what parent your phone means? Parents, how do we treat our children? We give them a bedtime, which is usually before our bedtime, and they go in a different room while we go into our room. You need to do the same thing with your phone. My phone has a bedtime. 10 o'clock is its bedtime. Once it's 10 o'clock, it goes into do not disturb. I don't set it by automatic. Like it's automatic. I don't give myself the choice. Once it's 10, that's where it goes. And then when I'm ready for bed, okay, the phone isn't the last thing I look at before bed. Same way I tell my kids, you go over there. I don't want to see you again until the morning. I do the same thing with my phone. I put it in a separate room and I go into my room and that's where I wind down my day, not with the phone. 75% of people, these statistics make me so sad. 75% of people sleep next to their phone. 75% of people, and some of you are like, what's wrong with that? Do you know what's wrong with that? The next statistic, which comes after. 90% of people check their phone immediately upon waking up. I'm telling you, I promise you, the worst way to start your day is to check your phone right away. The worst way. And if you don't believe me, just try it for a week. And I promise you, you will see instantaneous results. Like this is not one like, come back after a 10 year study and you'll see. I'm telling you, one week do it. You will see the results. The worst way to start your day is to read a text message about a problem at work. A problem that you can't do nothing about till you get there anyway. The worst way to start your day is to read an email. The, the, a quick glance at the email and all of a sudden you're gonna see 600 emails and you're gonna automatically feel overwhelmed, behind, and you're gonna go into that quiet time. You're gonna rush because you feel like you're already behind the eight ball for the day. Worst way to start your day is to check social media and see what the latest outrage, like what am I outraged about today? Okay, go on my social media, today I'm angry about this. Like that's all it's gonna tell you. Worst way to start your day is to check your phone. Stop doing it. I guarantee you, okay again, guarantee you a few things. I guarantee you, if Jesus was alive today, he is alive today, if Jesus was living today the way we are living today, then yeah, he probably would have a phone, but I guarantee you he would not check that thing first thing in the morning. Because that is a surefire way, surefire way. Life of rest, will guarantee we'll never have a life of rest. Life of peace, like a guarantee, all of the things that we don't want, check your phone is the fastest way for that. Number seven, two more to go. Take up journaling. Take up the habit of journaling. Again, something that I started several years ago, and I used to do it every now and then, but now I do it religiously, pun intended, I do it religiously, is that every day I start my quiet time, few moments, just to write down my thoughts, my prayer, I write down my prayers, and the reason why this is important is because what I noticed about myself, your brain works faster than your mouth or your writing. So that's why praying out loud is good. It slows you down. Writing is the same way. So when I'm praying, I'm and that's the way I pray in my mind. But when you pray in writing, it forces you to slow down. What are you actually praying for? It forces you to think deliberately. And what thoughts are actually in your head? It forces you to articulate it versus just a mess of thoughts and a mess of stuff and we don't know anything that's going on inside there. 
There's value in observing your life and documenting it, even if you're just going to throw it away. Like some people say, what do you do with the journal? What I do with the journal is I finish it, I throw it away. Recently, my wife said that's not good and she wants to save it, I don't know, put it in a museum or something. So I put it in her drawer, like she has a drawer with just a whole bunch of stuff. I just throw it in there because I don't want to see But my point is, I never read it again. I just throw it. So the value isn't in like, let's go back and see what 2016 was really like. Okay, that's not what I'm saying. But the value is in examining your life and taking the time to write about it. Socrates, who was a uh, smart guy, once said, an unexamined life is a life not worth living. I agree with that. An unexamined life is a life not worth living. Last of the habits or the practices that we can start to slow down is stop trying to multitask. Stop trying to multitask. And the key word there is trying because you ain't successful in doing it. Because you ain't God. Only God is omnipotent and can do two things at once. You cannot. You, the idea of multitasking is a myth. All you're really doing is doing a half-hearted job in two separate things at the same time. So just stop it. Do one thing, finish it, and then do the next thing. So stop trying to like, okay, maybe I can fold laundry while catching up on the sermon and preparing, you know, the food for... Stop it. It's not working. Stop trying, stop trying to be at your kid's game and focus on the little junior as he gets a little soccer, or whatever it is, and I'm going to finish up that email for work, and I'm doing both at the same time. You ain't doing either one good. Stop it, please, personal. Stop it. When it's board game night, put the phone down. Stop it. It's your turn. We've been waiting an hour and a half for you. Please, every time it's your turn, you check in your phone. Stop it. Sorry, I told you. Hurry is a, patience isn't my strong suit, okay? Bottom line. Find ways to slow down, stop the multitasking. Let me give you a nice verse right here, kind of wrap things up. 1 Thessalonians 4.11 is a strange verse because it has two words that don't seem to fit next to each other. It says, aspire to live a quiet life. Aspire to live a quiet life. Those are strange because aspire sounds like ambition. Go get it. Work hard. Hurry up. Aspire. But you're aspiring to what, according to St. Paul? To be quiet, to go slow. And by the way, St. Paul is a very driven, is a very accomplished guy. Wrote half the New Testament and started all the churches. Okay, back he was a one man. He was a one man army. And St. Paul, near the end, said, "Aspire to live a quiet life, not a busy life, not even an impactful life." He said, "Aspire to live an unhurried, quiet life." Why? As I said earlier, you can't live in the kingdom of God with a hurried soul. If patience is the fruit of the Spirit, hurry is the fruit of the devil. And for those reasons, we should aspire to do what St. Paul is saying right here. There you have it. Eight ways to practice slowing down. And let's go back, recap. These are the four habits that we talked about in this series. We talked about silence and solitude every single day. We talked about Sabbath every single week. We talked about simplicity as a way of life. And today we talked about slowing. And as an expert hurrier, me, as an expert rusher, me, let me tell you the life-changing power in these four practices. As someone who is not a naturally slow person, I walk fast, I drive fast, I talk fast. People tell me you talk too fast, okay? People tell me that, that, that they, everyone else that listen to sermons on 1.5 or 1.75, but me, they can't do it. That's, that's an accomplishment for me because I got so much to say and I got to squeeze it in a short period of time. So I got to go faster. 
as someone who spends his life hurting, let me tell you about the power, the life-changing power and the concept of unhurrying your life. The goal, very important, is not these practices. We're not approaching this in a legalistic way. I don't care how fast you drive. Well, I mean, I do. But. The goal is not the practice. The goal is the fruit of the practice. Like the goal is not that you spent the time in the quiet time in the morning. The goal is what comes of that, which is your soul's ability to connect with its maker. The goal is not that you force yourself not to do anything once a week as a Sabbath and you do nothing on Friday and do nothing on Sabbath. That's not the goal. The goal is a chance for my body to slow down long enough for my soul to catch up with it and take a breath and approach the next week with energy. The goal is not simplicity for the sake of simplicity. The goal is to remove the clutter so I can focus on what really matters. And then with our last one, the goal is not slowing down for the sake of slowing down and getting less done. The goal is to slow down so that I can be, I'll use a buzzword today that everyone's talking about, be present. Present to God, present to people. Let's be honest, present to my own soul. Not missing life as it flies by. I want to leave you here with a quote from C.S. Lewis, a famous book that he wrote called The Screwtape Letters. And The Screwtape Letters is like, a, 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 it's like the devil, a devil talking to the chief devil. Okay, so when you see this quote right here, it's talk, the devil is the, the one who's saying it, and he's going to talk about his enemy, and the enemy of the devil is God. So just so you understand the context, okay? So the devil is saying, the humans live in time, but our enemy, who is God, our enemy destines them to eternity. He therefore, I believe, wants them to attend chiefly to two things. God wants us to attend to two things. Eternity itself, number one, and number two, to that point of time which they call the present. Why? For the present, listen carefully, the present is the point at which time touches eternity. He would therefore have them continually concerned either with eternity, which means being concerned with him, or with the present, obeying the present voice of conscience, bearing the present cross, receiving the present grace, giving thanks for the present pleasure. In other words, what he's saying, all the best stuff in life, all the best stuff in life happens when? In the present. And the goal of unhurrying is that we can experience it as opposed to watching it as it flies by. And my prayer for you, prayer for myself, prayer for all of us, is that we learn from these habits, learn from these practices. Because if we want the rest and the life that Jesus came to promise, we're not going to find it unless we learn the, to live the lifestyle, the unhurried lifestyle that our Lord lived while he walked on this earth. Let's stand together for a prayer. <clears throat> In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for the practices that you've laid in front of us. Thank you for caring so much about us and not wanting us to miss all the good stuff in this world. We pray, Lord, that you would help us all to slow down long enough so that we can hear you and connect with you and be connected even to our own souls. Help us, Lord, with these practices because as we stare at them on the screen, Lord, they're, they're not easy. But we trust, Lord, that you will give us the grace when we do our best. We ask these things in the mighty name of your Son, Jesus Christ, with the intercessions and the prayers of all your saints. Hear us as we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. 
and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Amen.